Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Today's episode is brought to you by Lexum Press. Visit the Lexum Press website to receive 30% off of Andreas Kostenberg's latest. First and Second Timothy and Titus, a commentary we'll be having a conversation about on today's podcast. To purchase your copy, simply go to lexumpress.com slash product slash 1949 slash first dash second dash timothy dash and dash titus dash evangelical slash biblical slash theology slash commentary to order your copy for 30 percent off today welcome back to the equipping and grace podcast my name is dave and i'm the host for this podcast and with me today i have my friend dr kostenberger dr kostenberger welcome back to the equipping and grace podcast yeah Mm, ditto, brother, ditto. Well, can you uh, catch us up on what's going on in your uh, life, marriage, ministry, and some of the current ministry products that you're working on? Certainly. Well, uh, I'm on sabbatical this year, uh, long incoming, and uh, I've been. Uh, uh, it's been my joy to work on a biblical theology, um, which I'm uh, writing jointly with uh, uh, a scholar named Greg Goswell, who teaches in Australia at uh, Christ College in Sydney. So one of the nice things is that uh, when I uh, go to bed, he's just about to get up. So we literally are working on that biblical theology 24-7. Also, I'm I'm excitedly awaiting the release of uh, my my new book on the Gospel of John uh, called Signs of the Messiah by Lexham Press at the end of next month. Uh, which is an introductory level walk through the Gospel of John. It's originally a series of lectures I gave for pastors and students at Midwestern Seminary. And finally, the second edition of my hermeneutics text, Invitation to Biblical Interpretation, releases later February as well, uh, which has a brand new chapter on the Old Testament canon written by, by Greg Goswell as a fresh treatment of application. I'm really excited about uh, uh, talking about ap- applying scripture genre by genre and uh, much more. You know, hermeneutics is so important, so I would highly recommend that those who are listening take a look at that new release as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to check that out. I, I liked the first edition of that very much, of the hermeneutics yeah. textbook. That was very good, so... Mm-hmm. Well, brother, uh, can you tell us about your this commentary first to Second Timothy and Titus? Why you wrote it, and how you hope it'll be received, please? Yes. Um, so, uh, my commentary in First and Second Timothy and Titus is part of a new series, the Evangelical Biblical Theology Commentary, uh, published by Lexham. I'm one of the editors, um, and uh, co-editors are uh, T. Desmond Alexander and Tom Schreiner. Uh, it's a new type of commentary, uh, projected 40 volumes, of which only four have been published, including uh, mine on First St. Timothy and Titus. That commentary is uh, has a special focus on biblical theology, which essentially means, you know, the major themes in, in a particular uh, book or, or uh, corpus. 
start out with a very thorough introduction uh, where I cover and try to refute common objections to the Pauline authorship of these letters. And after this, I provide a basic commentary verse by verse and section by section, including uh, units of practical application. And uh, finally, about a third of the book, uh, or about 150 pages, are devoted to a discussion of major biblical theological themes. So I start out with mission and then cover other major themes such as teaching, uh, God, Christ, and salvation, the church as God's household, uh, the Christian life, the pursuit of Christian virtues, and the end times. Uh, I think especially pastors preaching through First and Second Timothy and Titus will find the, the thematic treatment, the, the last third of the book, very helpful as they prepare their messages, because these letters are very practical and relevant for the church today. In my case, as you know, I I previously did quite a bit of writing and research on the role of women and men in the church. And uh, I also wrote a shorter commentary in the revised Expositors Bible Commentary series published by Zondervan. So writing this new commentary gave me an opportunity to go deeper and to provide more interaction with current scholarship, including a lot of critical scholarship uh, that uh, disputes Pauline authorship and, you know, the original setting and so forth. So I think this also ought to equip those of us who are taking the explicit uh, affirmation of, of Pauline authorship in those letters seriously and are able to defend it against objections. Uh, you know, one example where I did a lot of research and, and I learned a lot would be the introduction to the book of Titus. Hmm. where I unearthed some fascinating archaeological discoveries that have come to light in recent years and that help us understand life and ministry in, in first century Crete better. Dad, do you, do you want to say a few more things about that? Well, um, you know, it talks about, uh, you know, Paul writes to Timothy, that uh, to Titus, that he wants him to uh, appoint elders in every city. And so we know quite a bit about uh, those cities in Crete. Uh, Homer called it uh, the uh, island of the hundred cities, which was a bit of an exaggeration, but uh, we know about 20 or so cities in the first century Crete. And so, uh, you know, uh, including, you know, most of them by, by name, you know, Gorton was the provincial capital. That's where uh, Titus was possibly based. And, and we know that many of those other cities were on really mountainous routes, you know, uh, uh, throughout the island. He just fleshes out Titus's task, I think, quite a bit more. Uh, you know, when you think about, okay, every city, well, we're talking maybe as many as 20 cities. Just imagine mm. how involved that would have been, you know, to appoint elders in uh, every city uh, on the island of Crete. Uh, so that's just one example among many of how I think, you know, knowing a little bit more about the uh, the topography and the, the specific setting of Crete can, can just, especially for preachers, for pastors, for serious students of Scripture, it just kind of fleshes things out, you know, in a, in a lot more concrete and tangible way. Yeah, that, that's really, really good. What purpose does Paul have in mind with writing First and Second Timothy and Titus? Hey, that's a great question. You know, as you know, Dave, there's some books in the Bible where we have clear purpose statements, like the Gospel of John, and others where we have to infer their purpose more indirectly. Now, fortunately, in the case of First and Second Timothy and Titus, we have some fairly clear indications as to why Paul wrote these letters. Uh, in uh, in First Timothy, 
Paul starts out by saying that he wants Timothy, who is in Ephesus, uh, to uh, charge certain persons not to teach false doctrine. First Timothy 1, chapter 1, verse 3. So apparently, there was a problem with false teachers in the Ephesian church. Now, it's interesting that we know that Paul, in his farewell to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, uh, warned them that some would arise, even from their own midst, who were wolves in, in sheep's clothing. So apparently that warning had now come true, and false teachers may have arisen even from within the uh, the church there in Ephesus. You, you find some support for that also in the section in, in chapter 5 of First Timothy on removing sinning elders, by the way. Timothy, who is still relatively young, as you know, when Paul writes First Timothy, uh, maybe in his early 40s, uh, faces the delicate and, and I would argue, somewhat unenviable task of being called upon to confront and, if necessary, uh, remove elders uh, from the church. Uh, we should also remember that, that Timothy is, is not the resident pastor of the church's emphasis. I think that's sometimes what, what is believed more in a, on a popular level, but I think to be more accurate and more precise, he was an apostolic delegate. Uh, someone who was assigned to the church temporarily by Paul to address certain pressing issues so that the church was cleansed and, and purified and that it could function well again and fulfill its mission of preaching the gospel and evangelizing unbelievers there uh, in Ephesus. Now, uh, moving on to Second Timothy, uh, in canonical order, of course, still written to Ephesus. Clearly, Second uh, Timothy is, is probably most, uh, uh, Paul's most personal letters, along with Second Corinthians. And uh, as you know, it's his final letter, written just prior to his martyrdom, which, uh, of course, makes Second Timothy incredibly valuable for us to have. Uh, as we see here, Paul's charge to Timothy to preach the gospel faithfully after he, Paul, had passed from the scene. Uh, Paul wrote Second Timothy from his second Roman imprisonment, and even from prison, he still is the leader of the early Christian mission and is, is pulling the strings behind the scenes as he directs the network of committed leaders who bear testimony of Christ and make tremendous persecution. And then finally, uh, Titus, uh, similar to 1 Timothy, starts out by stating Paul's purpose for writing. As I mentioned, Titus is to tackle the unfinished business of appointing elders in every town, Titus 1.5. As we read in the book later in that chapter, Crete was an immoral place, similar to Corinth. And as I mentioned, there were about 20 uh, towns there. Uh, so appointing elders in every town was, was, was quite a uh, challenging assignment as well. Uh, but Titus had already proven himself, uh, as we know, uh, in an earlier difficult assignment in Corinth. Uh, he's mentioned uh, several times in, in Second Corinthians, especially in chapter 7. But what we see in each case uh, is that there was a specific occasion that triggered the writing of uh, each of these letters. I, 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 I want to add one more thing, though, Dave, which is that people often stress the occasional nature of the New Testament letters, including the, uh, you know, the letters to Timothy and Titus. But while there was a specific occasion that triggered the writing of the letters, uh, they also have a more abiding purpose. Uh, as you can see, for example, in 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, I'm just going to read those couple verses because I think they are just powerful support that uh, the letters are not merely, you know, occasional and situation-specific. There's also a, a larger purpose. Paul writes there, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one 
ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of the truth. So you see there, the letter was a substitute for Paul's physical presence. It's very common, uh, you know, uh, as a purpose for the letter writing in the first century and still today. And uh, also you see the very solemn descriptions of the church here. So, you know, Paul didn't uh, necessarily look at those letters as just of temporary value. He, he, he looked at them as part of his legacy. Uh, he had this larger vision of equipping the church for what people call the post-apostolic or sub-apostolic period after he passed from the scene. So those are legacy letters in which Paul lays down invaluable stipulations for qualifications for church leadership, appropriate roles in ministry, uh, the pursuit of Christian virtues, and you know many other uh, many other things. Yeah, that's that's really, really, really well said. Very well said. How can how can reading and studying the pastoral epistles help church leaders today? All right. Well, another really important uh, question in terms of you know the relevance of those. Uh, letters, but but if you allow me to go on a on a just a, to make a, a minor picky point first, uh, believe it or not, I personally don't actually like the designation pastoral epistles very much. Uh, in fact, in my commentary, I I explain why, and then uh, use instead the phrase letters to Timothy and Titus. And after a while, it gets a little bit lengthy. I, I just abbreviate it to LTT for short. The reason why I don't like pastoral epistles, uh, which, by the way, it's a fairly recent term that wasn't used until the early 18th century, is because many critical scholars use this term to separate these letters from the Pauline corpus. In other words, pastoral epistles for some has become a convenient shorthand for saying these letters are non-Pauline. They were written by someone, maybe a follower of Paul, maybe even Timothy, after Paul's death, you know, was imagining what what Paul might have said in addressing uh, certain scenarios. You know, in in case you think or our listeners think I'm exaggerating, uh, did you realize, for example, that the eminent scholar Richard Bauckham believes Timothy himself wrote 1 Timothy? So I'm I'm not making this up. Uh, To me, that does seem rather far-fetched, especially since 1 Timothy 1, uh, 1 and 2 says explicitly that Paul wrote the letter to Timothy. But Bauckham is an example of critical scholarship that simply cannot tolerate the notion that the Apostle Paul wrote these so-called pastoral epistles uh, himself. So calling them letters to Timothy and Titus, uh, I think, allows for them to be more easily uh, be considered part of all the letters Paul wrote, and it also connects them better with the Pauline mission as it is narrated in the book of Acts where we see that Paul recruited Timothy uh, at the beginning of his second missionary journey, uh, Acts chapter 16. Uh, so I, I, I do have to add there that, curiously, Titus is not mentioned in Acts. But uh, in any case, thanks for letting me go on this brief excursus on this uh, designation that's commonly used even in conservative evangelical circles, uh, pastoral epistles. Now, regarding benefits for church leaders in studying the LTT, see what they did there? Uh, these uh, seem to me rather obvious. First, uh, the church leaders give vital guidance on how to organize the church and how to appoint qualified elders and deacons. Second, they learn about Christian virtues for leaders to pursue and uh, virtues they can emulate, qualities that Paul urges Timothy and, and Titus to pursue. Uh, third, and I've addressed this repeatedly when speaking to pastors uh, about the uh, uh, LTT, and you can see that some of those posted on my website, the LTT provide an alternative metaphor for the church other than the church's Christ's body. 
uh, namely the church is God's household. Now, we're probably more familiar with the body of Christ metaphor, which is used in several of Paul's other letters, such as Romans, 1 Corinthians, and the Ephesians, according to which Christ is the head of his body, and the church is, is made up of diverse members of the body of Christ, uh, who each do their part in building up the, the body according to the gifts uh, given to them by the Holy Spirit. But here, in, in uh, Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus, he changes the metaphor, and he depicts the church as God's household. In, in the ancient world, the father was the head of a household, uh, both in Jewish and in Greco-Roman life, it's called the paterfamilias. Uh, his role in, in large part was to ensure that all the needs of the members of his household were met, that they were well cared for, provided for, protected, and, and, and so forth. So I think what Paul is saying here with the household metaphor in relation to the church is that elders and church leaders have a, a role and a responsibility to provide for the needs of the diverse members of the body. And by the way, in the ancient world, the household was an extended household, including not only parents and children, but also widows and, and household servants. And so you see that in, in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5, where Paul uh, addresses uh, how the church ought to care for widows and, and then moves on to talk about uh, servants in chapter 6. Uh, it also means, uh, incidentally, that in Paul's day, there would have been no question of edit up the household. So this also confirms a complementarian reading of, of 1 Timothy 2.12 for example. Uh, all this is to say that there are no New Testament books more important for church leaders than uh, first uh, than uh, Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus. That's uh, that's really good. That's really good. Um, very good stuff there. How how is the gospel presented in First and Second Timothy and Titus? Well, that's a very good question, uh, Dave. Because here we're dealing with letters that were written a bit later than some of Paul's earlier letters, such as Galatians or even Romans, when Paul still needed to spend quite a bit of time clarifying the nature of the gospel. Um, also, uh, these letters uh, are written to individuals. Uh, apostolic delegates, as I mentioned, to of course know perfectly well uh, what the gospel was. So there was less of a need to spell this out. In the main, my answer would be that Paul talks about God and Christ as our Savior, which, by the way, is another unique feature of these letters. And uh, I mentioned earlier some some research that I found, uh, uh, including archaeological research from the island of Crete. And so we do have some inscriptions there where other savior figures, uh, such as the Greek god of healing, Asclepius, were identified as savior. And so I think, at least in part, what Paul is saying here is actually no, it's not a Roman emperor or a god of healing who is the savior of humanity. It's God in Christ who is our true savior. Uh, now, in terms of how's the gospel presented in those letters, uh, two passages primarily come to come to mind. The first one would be First Timothy two verses three to seven, which says, "This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior." See, there's that phrase, uh, "God our Savior," who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God, and there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. That ransom idea echoes Jesus' own words. Uh, think of Mark 10, 45, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. And another, uh, I think, relevant passage would be Titus 2, 11 to 14. I think that those are one 
is one of the key it's one of the key passages uh, in Titus uh, with regard to uh, theology, Christology, soteriology, and uh, so that passage says, "For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people." training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our God, great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself the people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And of course, Titus 2.13 is one of the most powerful passages in the entire New Testament where the deity of Christ is affirmed. Our great God and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ, there have been a few detractors who tried to dispute that that passage actually refers to, to Jesus, uh, but uh, people like Murray Harris uh, have, uh, I think, compellingly made a case that, uh, you know, this is clearly uh, what is going on here. So, uh, again, we see that uh, in the pastoral epistles, oh, no, I said it, in the letters to Timothy and Titus, you have two appearings of Jesus. You have the first appearing, uh, where he brings salvation, and then you have his second appearing, which is here called the Blessed Hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, where he will come to usher in the end times and to uh, take us uh, uh, home with him. We'll, we'll blame the, the Freudian slip on me because I got it in your head thinking about pastoral epistles. <laughs> <laughs> it's all Dave's fault, you know. <laughs> it's hard. Those uh, old, old habits, they die hard. Yeah, yeah. What, what are some of the interpretive challenges in First Timothy? Yeah, definitely. You know, on a broad scale, there are some hermeneutical challenges in, in just navigating the tension between uh, what is occasional, uh, you know, as I mentioned briefly before, what is addressed specifically to Timothy or Titus, and to the, the original first century setting in Ephesus uh, or Crete. And uh, on the other hand, that uh, which is normative and, and, and relevant for, for all time. I've addressed this, by the way, in the opening chapter of a book that um, Harry Wilder and I co-edited uh, uh, with the title Entrusted with the Gospel, published with BNH Academics. So, uh, you know, if listeners want to hear more, that'd be a, a place to go. Uh, on a more specific level, uh, as you know, some have disputed the, the straightforward reading of First uh, Timothy two twelve, which in the ESV, for example, and most other translations read something like this: "I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man." Some have argued that for various reasons, the passage doesn't mean what it seems to be saying, namely that women should not serve as uh, pastor, teachers, or elders in the church. Um, I would just point out that, you know, when you look at uh, just a few verses later in chapter 3, verse 2, elders uh, are um, said to be faithful husbands, which seems to imply they're male. And also in, in, in 1 Timothy 5.17, Paul talks about uh, the elders who rule well, especially those who labor in teaching and preaching. And so you see there that exercising authority in teaching are said to be the domain of elders uh, who are, you know, presupposed to be male. Now, personally, I don't think this is really a very difficult passage because there's ample uh, contextual support for reading the passage uh, straightforwardly. Notice that the reason Paul himself gives in the verse immediately following is that uh, Adam was formed first and then Eve. So contrary to those who claim Paul merely had some limited rationale that applied only to first century Ephesus, uh, he here grounds his command in the creative order. Uh, in any case, I would refer your listeners to a book I co-edited with Tom Schreiner, Women in the Church, now in its third edition, where we give a very thorough interpretation. 
interpretation and application of that passage. Yeah, that that's such a good point about uh, that particular passage in Timothy. And I, and I think a lot of people don't object with the interpretation of the passage, but then they come back, as we know, they come back and they say, uh, well, what what are women supposed to do? I mean, are they just supposed to sit around and twiddle their thumbs and, um, you know, make babies and um, do nothing? I mean, it's the only thing I hear, the only thing I can do, uh, older women teaching... Um, a younger woman or you know can i write books can i write articles um you know how would you respond to that yeah that's a good point so you're right uh, that a lot of the discussion centers on the application and uh, however there are people who actually also challenge this more straightforward reading and the interpretation so uh just to be clear that we wrote women in the church primarily to clarify and settle uh interpretive issues you know and and, and That's that's really helpful, and 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 you and I we agree on this particular subject. So um, I'm not asking to to push back in any way. I'm I'm agreeing, but I know that people ask this question, um, these types of questions. So you gave a very helpful answer. What should uh, Titus two look like in the life of a local church? Yes, Titus two. Um, I know it's a passage that my wife uses regularly in her ministry to women. Uh, it's a good example of the household of God concept that I talked about earlier. Uh, just like in a natural family, uh, where fathers, uh, you know, these God's designers that fathers mentor their sons and, and mothers uh, mentor their daughters. 
Uh, Paul has in mind here that mature Christian women mentor younger women in the faith. Uh, and I think that's especially important today where many come from dysfunctional families, you know, where you don't have, uh, you know, even the presence of a father or mother always, uh, or even if they're physically present, they may not be, you know, spiritually, uh, you know, mature. And so I think that's an added uh, responsibility for the church to see to it that, that young men and women are properly uh, mentored uh, in the faith. Uh, and so this is essentially an extended uh, house table uh, that's predicated upon this uh, household metaphor. Uh, but the, the, the key passage there uh, related to, uh, you know, is more detail to given to women than to men here. Uh, so in chapters uh, in chapter two, verses three to five, he calls them mature Christian women to teach what is good and to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, uh, kind and submissive to their own husbands. Just as a quick side note, the, the, the word train, it, it really has to do with uh, to instill a kind of a sensible um, a mindset, if you will. Uh, comes from the word, you know, sophrosune, which uh, sophro uh, is sound. And, and, uh, so the idea, so our sound mind, the idea that uh, uh, women uh, ha- are, are healthy in the way they relate uh, to others, which in many cases has to do with, you know, God's, the way God created them in the first place. So we see Paul assumes the primary role of women um, as being related to their family and their home, which is contrary to our culture, which often disparages these roles. So in the church, I'm not sure if we always do the greatest job, by the way, uh, in expressing high esteem for the roles of wife and mother, uh, but these are God-given, and they're unique, and they're highly significant. And we should say that regularly and often, I think, from the pulpit and in other ways. Uh, and uh, incidentally, uh, again, you know, to anticipate uh, maybe misrepresentations of, of that passage when Paul is talking about working at home, uh, he's not trying to limit or confine women to the home, but he's rather envisioning that women will operate from the home as their as their home base. Uh, and then in addition, depending on their life stage and the age of their children, they may well extend their sphere of operations to a much larger circle of influence. So in the local church, we should find ways to affirm women who want to follow God's call for them uh, to focus on their primary roles as wives and mothers and to, to encourage them and to provide practical help in this regard. We should be unapologetic in our support of women who love their God-given roles and want to live those out to the fullest. Yeah, that's uh, that's really good. You know, I, I would just say one other thing I've been thinking about about that lately is just re- and being intentional. You know, whether that's a, with a single mom or with a married mom or whatever, the the women's ministry should be really intentional with that. The church as a whole should be really intentional with that, especially with single moms. I think that we need to really work on that as the church. Um, you know, they're very neglected. I, I've growing up, my, my parents were divorced. And so my mom was a single mom, uh, late in my teenage years. And then, um, obviously my sister in law has a, has a, we have a young nephew and they lived with us for a while. So I've seen the church. Thankfully, her experience was good. My mom's experience wasn't. So I've seen the church, and I'm not saying this is rep- those two examples are representative of every church. Just to be clear, I'm just saying there's a real opportunity for the women's ministry and the children's ministry of our churches to connect 
on that particular point and make sure they're really on the same page so that there can be intentionality and care um, all across the board. So if there's any issues with the mother or the child or those kinds of things, in the case of a single mother, they can be addressed and, you know, they can get the help that they they need and um, and the care that they need. And, and I just think that that itself is a really big opportunity for the church. I totally agree. And, you know, you, you have to really appreciate the fact that Paul has quite a bit to say about that. And he's also very concerned about their protection from, you know, false teachings and and, you know, so I think just all around, uh, I couldn't agree more that, you know, young women and, and you know, wives and, and mothers need a lot of support, uh, first and foremost by their husbands, but uh, especially when husbands are not uh, there uh, to support them, certainly the church needs to do everything they can to come alongside those young women and to have, you know, uh, both uh, spiritual help in the form of, uh, you know, support and affinity groups and in other tangible ways, you know, practical, even financial, uh, and other ways to, to, to help, uh, you know, young mothers. Yeah, that's, that's really good. What unique challenges present themselves as pastors and Bible teachers prepare to preach and teach through First and Second Timothy and Titus? Wow. Yes. Um, another awesome questions, very practical. Uh, you know, I think in one sense, I don't think there are any unique challenges in preaching and teaching. Uh, first and Second Timothy and Titus, I mean, we've already talked about some of the hermeneutical uh, issues and there's occasionality versus normativity and so forth. I think like other New Testament letters, those letters are, are very straightforward. You know, I think sometimes, honestly, we make things more complicated than they need to be or than they actually are, partly because they, they challenge our culture and sometimes our, you know, biases and stereotypes. Um, and just in general, I, I think uh, letters are one of the easier uh, genres to preach, uh, probably easier than uh, passages uh, in the Gospels, uh, Acts, or Revelation. Now, having said that, I think one challenge the preacher or teacher on the letters to Timothy and Titus is presented with is relating those letters to the book of Acts on the one hand, and to Paul's other earlier letters on the other. Um, so I would certainly encourage those preaching on on First uh, or Second Timothy or Titus to uh, to find a way to to relate it both uh, historically and literarily to to Acts and Paul's other letters. Another challenge, of course, uh, would be uh, relating the teaching of those letters to the life of the church today, especially with regard to church leadership, church structure, organization, and as we just talked about, the roles of men and women in ministry. Uh, those are just uh, a few general comments. I'm sure to address this in detail would require another podcast or, or two or three. Oh, yeah, for sure. Or five or six or, you know, as, as many, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there's so many, there's so many different issues. Like you, you raise women in ministry. You got, you know, praying for a church or praying for governmental officials. Um, yeah. the command there to do that, and and on and on you could go with with that. There's just so many practical issues that touch on our lives. Um, that are that yeah. are so so important. Well, where can people go to find out more about your work online, on, on social media, or otherwise, brother? Yeah, Dave, uh, thanks so much for asking. Well, they can go to my website, uh, as you know, biblicalfoundations.org, um, where they can find a complete listing of my publications. They can access and download most of uh, 
my published work um, there, other than full-length books, of course. Unfortunately, can't give those away for free. Uh, uh, people don't always realize, even as authors, we get an author discount, but we still have to, to pay if we want to buy our own books. We might get a few free copies, you know, when it's first released. But after that, you know, we have to, uh, every so often I put in an order uh, for, you know, 10 or 20 of my books. And, and I have to pay for those books. They can also go to the Center for Biblical Studies website, which I direct, um, cbs.mbts.edu. And uh, there they can uh, listen to another podcast, the Biblical Foundations podcast. And uh, incidentally, we're, we're about to roll out the results of the Biblical Foundations annual book awards there in the next few weeks. Finally, uh, increasingly what I found to be a very useful um, go-to uh, place is the uh, Amazon author page, where they can just quickly skim, you know, uh, images and listings of all my books. And finally, they can follow me on Twitter at uh, A. Kostenberg. Wonderful, brother. I, I encourage our listeners to check out the Biblical Foundations website and the Center for Biblical Studies uh, podcast. Great stuff that, that you guys are doing there. Well, Dr. Kostenberger, uh, this, this has been a very fascinating conversation. Thank you uh, so much for, for coming on, equipping you in grace. I just want to urge our, our listeners to check out this great new commentary on First and Second Timothy and Titus, as well as his other books. Uh, Dr. Kostenberger writes a lot. Uh, very helpfully, I personally enjoy his publications. Uh, brother, I, I appreciate our friendship and, and the work the, the Lord has given you very much. So I pray Christ's richest blessings on you. Thanks so much, David. Uh, love the conversation and every blessing in, in your ministry as well. Thank you, brother. I'd like to thank Lexham Press for sponsoring today's episode. Don't forget to visit the Lexham Press website at lexampress.com slash product slash 194954-1-2-Timothy-and-Titus-Evangelical-Biblical-Theology-Commentary to receive 30% off of Dr. Kostenberger's commentary, First and Second Timothy and Titus. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.